section twenty two of the english restoration and louis the fourteenth by osmond airy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter seventeen charles the second and the cabal sixteen seventy one to seventy two one the cabal the prorogation of april twenty second sixteen seventy one left charles once more free from parliamentary control the manner in which aided by the peculiar character of the executive government he used his liberty led to the great crisis of his reign the privy council which in theory was always consulted had been found to be an inconveniently large body it had become the custom therefore to form within it a small committee or cabal a term at least as old as the reign of james i of the members most in the king's confidence to which were referred not only foreign affairs for which it was primarily intended but all matters of importance and secrecy this cabal has been regarded as the origin of the present cabinet but the cabinet is representative of the people at any rate of the house of commons possibly in antagonism to the personal wishes of the crown whereas the cabal was the representative of the crown often in spite of both commons and people neither existing nor ceasing to exist with any direct reference to their opinion each member held his place purely at the king's will he gave his advice but his duty then was to support whatever decision the king might choose to adopt the cabal at the time of the treaty of dover practically consisted of clifford arlington buckingham ashley and lauderdale though bridgeman trevor ormond rupert and others were at times included it was soon noticed that the initial letters of these first five names made up the word cabal and it is therefore to this particular cabal that the title has been specifically attached among the five there was besides the guilty knowledge of one or other of the treaties of dover but one bond of union all of them though from the most various motives were in favour of toleration sir thomas clifford was perhaps the most picturesque figure of the cabal a valiant incorrupt gentleman ambitious not covetous passionate a most constant sincere friend an ardent catholic in sympathies if not by actual conversion he was as ardent an advocate of an uncontrolled monarchy only in the combination of religious freedom and royal despotism did he see salvation for the state his temper was vehement his eloquence striking his personal courage conspicuous the story is well known how during the former war when on a visit to arlington at euston in suffolk he and ormond's son ossory hearing the guns off norwich leaped on their horses galloped to the coast and put off in an open boat to join the fleet and serve as volunteers through one of the bloodiest days in english naval warfare though a poor man his hands were clean of bribes and his life was remarkably pure his horoscope foretold him fame and fortune but an early death he answered that he cared not for an early death if before he died he might witness the triumph of the catholic church anthony ashley cooper lord ashley ancestor of the present earl of shaftesbury had been in the forefront of political life since boyhood 
in the days of the commonwealth he had striven against cromwell in support of parliamentary government and after the protector's death had taken a great share in breaking down the despotism of the army in spite of his present complicity in charles's counsels he was still a keen upholder of parliamentary rule he was violently anti-catholic not from any religious convictions but because as he expressed it popery and slavery go ever like two sisters hand in hand but he had been a supporter of every attempt at toleration of protestant dissent as being necessary for trade and in the constitution which at his request john locke drew up for the new colony of carolina toleration was a leading feature he had established a reputation for business power tact and finesse and though he never affected to censure the prevailing private and public immorality he shunned debauchery in his own person and like clifford is free from any well-established charge of bribery small and slight in stature and of delicate health he had a soul as ambitious and fiery as that of clifford himself and it was not until the end of his career that his keen political foresight gave way under the excitement of faction and the harassments of ill-health but though he possessed an intuitive perception of those causes which had a great future before them his conduct was always liable to be modified by the determination to ride on the crest of the political wave and while from his ready and incisive eloquence his unceasing activity and his skill in party warfare which in its modern form he may be said to have originated he was always formidable he is far more often spoken of with distrust than with admiration or respect john maitland duke of lauderdale was only in the second place an english politician he was charles's irresponsible and almost absolute viceroy of scotland at a time when scotland was completely separated in sympathies from england he was too the king's devoted personal adherent eager to carry out his slightest wishes which he affirmed were more to him than all human laws and to pander to his most shameless vices utterly dissolute as he was in morals and religion his early career as a presbyterian caused him to be regarded as a protestant and as such he was excluded from knowledge of the catholic plot there is one other person whose influence was more powerful and lasting than that of the professional politicians this was a young breton girl of noble family who came over in the train of henrietta and who by the beauty of her baby face and a winning charm of manner and conversation which formed a piquant contrast to the vulgar humours of lady castlemaine and nell gwynne completely captivated charles it is more than probable that louis had determined that some permanent representative of french influence should have a place in that scene of female caprice which surrounded charles's most intimate life and that it was this which louise de Kerouaille was to supply she soon became the chief intermediary between the monarchs sharing in all their schemes of statecraft and displaying an independence of judgment and a capacity for intrigue worthy of a practised politician her influence was recognised by the hatred with which she was popularly regarded as the agent of france 
upon louise de Kirouaille, better known as the duchess of portsmouth as upon the other women of charles's harem the treasure of the country was poured out in reckless profusion it was not without good reason that a caricature published in holland represented the king between two women with his pockets turned inside out the supplies voted by parliament the subsidies of louis ran like water through the hands of these female favourites pensions patents monopolies crowned lands reversions of lucrative posts were showered upon them and their children louise de Kirouaille alone had before long an annual income of forty thousand pounds and in sixteen eighty one the enormous sum of one hundred and thirty six thousand pounds passed through her hands it is no wonder that this being but one form of expenditure on his pleasures the sums received by charles were all too small and that in august sixteen seventy one his debts were reckoned at more than three millions two stop of the exchequer declaration of indulgence dutch war a state of things so desperate with an expensive war in prospect suggested desperate remedies all evidence points to clifford as the author of the confession of national bankruptcy known as the stop of the exchequer though it is possible that a similar step by mazarin may have suggested it to charles it was customary for the bankers to advance money to the crown on the faith of taxes voted by parliament but not yet collected at an interest of twelve per cent it was now determined in the privy council though against the advice of ashley to apply the whole proceeds of the taxes for sixteen seventy two to the war the bankers being left unpaid while for the future the interest on the money thus confiscated should be reduced to six per cent the sum upon which by this outrageous breach of faith charles laid violent hands one million four hundred thousand pounds was secured at the cost of the permanent ruin of the royal credit and general commercial distress hundreds of private persons were left destitute for the bankers were compelled to suspend payment and merchants who had placed money in their hands were unable to carry on their ordinary business and after all says a shrewd observer as it did not supply the expenses of the meditated war so it melted away i know not how for carrying through this scheme the flagrant dishonesty of which was evidently obscured by his view of the proper privileges of royalty clifford was rewarded with a peerage and the lord treasurer's staff the second important measure which signalized the spring of sixteen seventy two must be laid to the credit of ashley trusting no doubt that at the close of the war he would be in a position to dictate his own terms to parliament charles made another attempt to secure the dispensing power on march fifteenth sixteen seventy two he published the famous declaration of indulgence it was evidently drawn up by ashley whose often expressed views were thus set forth in the preamble we do now issue this our declaration as well for the quieting of our good subjects as for inviting strangers in this conjuncture to come and live under us and for a better encouragement of all to a cheerful following of their trades and callings charles then boldly claimed the dispensing power looking to the unhappy differences in matters of religion he declared himself obliged to make use 
of that supreme power in ecclesiastical matters which is not only inherent in us but hath been declared and recognized to be so by several statutes and acts of parliament in the vain hope of conciliating the church the declaration stipulated that the doctrine discipline privileges and government of the church as now established should be scrupulously observed the suspension of all manner of penal laws and matters ecclesiastical against whatsoever sort of nonconformists or recusants was announced while in pursuance of a plan adopted by louis with marked success but which had been on a former occasion rejected by the commons certain places were to be licensed for the worship of nonconforming protestants catholics however were to be allowed only their former liberty to hold services in their private houses the issue of the declaration had been hindered by the conduct of orlando bridgman keeper of the seals that honest minister had already made difficulties in the matter of the stop of the exchequer he now absolutely refused to put the great seal to the declaration the opportunity was taken to reward its author bridgman was removed and ashley under the title of earl of shaftesbury was made lord chancellor two days after the issue of the declaration the last great step for which the members of the cabal were jointly responsible was taken on march seventeenth war was declared against the dutch End of section twenty two